Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 82, Charles in Charge and the Sicilian Vespers. Last time, we saw Charles of Anjou finally get rid of the last obstacle that stood between him and the throne of the Kingdom of Sicily, Corradino, the 15-year-old son of Holy Roman Emperor Conrad IV. The new king had not thought twice about having the boy beheaded in a square in Naples. Corradino was not the last to fall, because now Charles could turn his attention to those who had opposed him, and he did so with a vengeance. One of the subjects to fall was not a noble, but a city, that of Lucera, the Muslim city in Puglia, which had been an unusual example of tolerance and had remained ever faithful to the Hohenstaufen emperors, supplying them with the formidable Lucera archers. The city was taken and the Muslim population was forced to escape or be killed. As well as sorting out his opposers, Charles now continued to manoeuvre to become the leader of the Guelph faction, the pro-papal anti-imperial faction, which, as we have mentioned in time, lost some of its original meaning and simply became a label to describe the opposing factions in cities divided over a whole series of different issues. Now, in theory, the Guelphs already had a natural leader. Indeed, since they were to start with the pro-papal team, the Pope would have been their natural leader. So, Pope Clement IV was rather distressed to see that all they had feared about being unable to control Charles was coming true, a lot quicker than they had expected. However, Clement didn't have to worry too long since he promptly died on the 29th of November, 1268. At this point, Charles saw a golden opportunity to manoeuvre freely without a pesky Pope in the way, and he put all his sneaky diplomatic resources in play and tried to delay the election of a new Pope and managed to do so for a whole three years, with a new Pope not being elected until 1271. In the meantime, the new king was able to extend his influence in Tuscany and in 1270, Siena, a staunchly Ghibelline city, went over to the Guelphs. This left only Pisa as a strong Ghibelline commune in the region and they were forced to sign a peace treaty with Charles. That same year, he also subdued Turin and Alessandria way up north and became Lord of Brescia. He would have liked for all the cities to nominate him as their ruler, but he had to be content with an oath of loyalty. In any case, he could consider himself the undisputed leader of the Guelph faction. Now, Charles was in a position that had a whole series of advantages over that of the Holy Roman Emperors. He had no reign back home to worry about. Indeed, you will remember that he was the brother of King Louis IX of France, who was in a strong position and could, if needed, even send help to Charles. Furthermore, there was no one on the horizon who could actually challenge his authority, yet. 
there was no threat from the Holy Roman Empire, and there would not be from now on. Finally, we see how he sorted out the Pope situation. He could have got down to the business of administering his new kingdom, consolidating and solidifying. Could have. Instead, he made a big mess of things. First of all, he showed that he did not trust his new noble vassals at all. Now, he was probably right in not doing so, but he could have at least made some sort of fake gesture to appease them. Instead, he did not call any form of parliament or council for years on end. What's more, many lands were taken from local nobles. What's more, many lands were taken from local nobles to reward the French nobles who had accompanied Charles in his expedition. All protests from the local nobility fell on deaf ears. He not only managed to annoy the nobles, but also the merchants in the south of Italy by bringing in Tuscan ones to muscle in on their business. One gesture he made was a symbolic slap in the face when he transferred the capital of the kingdom from Palermo on the island of Sicily to Naples, where he had started work on his new castle, the building known today as the Maschio Anduino. Add to all of this the imposition of almost unbearable taxes and you have a rather explosive situation. External factors also started to come into the picture. First of all, the inhabitants of Viterbo, where the church was attempting to elect a new pope, got sick of the delay and threatened the conclave with violence if they didn't make up their mind, even taking off part of the roof of the building they were in. They finally did, and settled on Tebaldo Visconti, an Italian who took the name of Gregory X after the longest papal election in the history of the Catholic Church. On a side note, shortly after his election, the new Pope received a letter from the great Mongol Khan Kublai. This is interesting for three reasons. 1. It is interesting to know that at this time the Pope was in contact with the Far East. 2. This Khan is the guy that English Romantic poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge wrote about in his poem after getting totally stoned and having an opium dream. Remember? In Xanandu did Kubla Khan a pleasure dome decree? This was the guy. The letter was delivered to the Pope by two Venetian merchants, two brothers by the name of Matteo and Niccolò Polo. On their trip back to the Khan, they took with them Niccolò's 17-year-old son, Marco, Marco Polo, and we'll be talking about him in a few episodes. Anyway, Charles of Anjou was now less free to do what he pleased. What's more, things started going downhill in the north, the Ghibelline faction had taken control of the city of Genoa and now opposed Charles. This was bad news because the city controlled much of the area of the Tyrrhenian Sea to the west of Italy. The king moved to lay siege in 1273 but was defeated by sea and land and went on to lose more ground in Piedmont, Lombardy and even in Tuscany. Interestingly, we see here a new element of involvement by the Spanish, with Alfonso of Castile intervening to help the Genoese. However, the real trouble 
the really, really big trouble was to come from what was supposedly the heartland of the kingdom, the part Charles had left aside in favour of the mainland and a series of other international adventures, Sicily. The nobles of the island had very little say in the management of the kingdom and had not been compensated with lucrative positions elsewhere as the French had been, and they were having the pants taxed off of them to fund foreign expeditions such as Charles's attempt to take the throne of Constantinople. As the unrest grew, it was encouraged by the new Byzantine emperor, Michael Palaeologus, as well as another Spaniard, Peter of Aragon, who was married to the daughter of Manfredi, the king of Sicily whom Charles had defeated and killed at the Battle of Benevento in 1266. As tensions rose, the Angevins imposed harsher restrictions on the island, which included curfews, the prohibition to bear arms, and the right to stop and search men for said arms. If there is one lesson you should learn about the Sicilians, it's that you don't want them to be annoyed with you. So with that in mind, let me take you to a spring evening of 1282. It is the 30th of March, Easter Monday, and the crowds in Palermo are heading to the Church of the Sacred Spirit, just outside what was then Palermo. Despite the general bad mood of the Sicilians toward the Angevins, it was a festive time, and there was much merriment and drinking. A group of French soldiers decided they would join in with the drinking, and after a while one of their number, a certain Drouet, noticed a lovely-looking young wife. Using the excuse of exercising his right to search her, he proceeded to do so. Unfortunately for him, the Sicilian wife in question was accompanied by her Sicilian husband. This is something you really, really, really don't want to do. The husband was able to disarm the soldier and kill him with his own sword. When his comrades moved to avenge their fallen friend, the crowd fell upon the soldiers and killed them instead. All of this as the bells of the church began to ring for the evening vespers. In a matter of days, the rebellion spread to the whole of the island, and it was open season on any French person that could not escape to the ships anchored off of the coast. Thousands were massacred to the shouts of Mora, Mora, die, die, and we'll talk about that in a sec. Many French people tried to hide among the population, and so the way to understand who was French was to show them chickpeas, which are chichi in Italian, but chicheri in Sicilian. Supposedly, the French could not pronounce this word and would come out with shishiri, sealing their own doom. I imagine it was also a really bad time for Sicilians with a speech impediment. Palermo declared itself an independent commune and soon after Corleone also followed suit. After that it was a domino effect and the cities eventually banded together in the Comunitas Sicilie, a federation of Sicilian cities. It was at this point that they first adopted the early form of the flag of Sicily we see today, two triangles 
one red for Palermo and one yellow for Corleone with the symbol of the Trinacria, the three legs with a face in the middle. The Sicilian Vespers have resounded through history. They are considered one of the very earliest examples of a successful popular uprising, centuries before the American or French revolutions. They appear in the Italian national anthem, and composer Giuseppe Verdi composed an opera about them. As is often the case with anything that was important in this period, it ended up in that big collection of human everything that is Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy. In the eighth canto of Paradise, he says, Semala signoria che sempre accora li popoli suggetti non avesse mossa Palermo a gridar mora, mora. If the bad government, which always pushes people to rebellion, had not led Palermo to shout, die, die. Now, the die-die translation took me a while. My 13th century Sicilian is a bit rusty. You see, the word mora is different from the modern standard Italian muori, you die, or muoia, may he or she die. Indeed, although Italian words are not characterized as much as English words by polysemy, which is a fancy way of saying that words have more than one meaning, this word does have more than one meaning. Indeed, mara can be, one, a delay in contractual obligations, or payment of rent, or returning library books. Two, a woman with black hair. Three, blackberries. So, once you've excluded that the rebels were asking for library books to be returned, looking for dark-haired women, or asking for forest fruit, you are left with the idea that they wanted the Angevins to die. During all of this great rebellion, there was one Frenchman in particular who had something to say about it. Said Frenchman was Charles of Anjou, who would soon have quite a lot to say and do about it. Little did he know that the Sicilians also had an ace up their sleeve. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to the new Patreon supporters, Monica T and Renee B. Welcome aboard, thank you very much. And as always to the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Anthony G, Brandon S, Silaine, Daniel C, Dean V, Eric W, Gordon Z, Greg, Ignacio, Caitlin, Kevin, Marxist Leninist Sicilian, Reactionary Venetian, Roberta D, Rodney N, Scott L, Shelby and Stephen, and the Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level Sen, Paolo, Lisa K, JW, and Andrew M. Remember, if you want to get in touch uh, with comments, questions, uh, just to say hello or share existential doubts, hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. At the same URL, you'll find the website where you can click through to our social media, and you'll also find the support page where you can become a patron or donate via PayPal if you are so inclined and feeling generous, and I thank you very much in advance. Until next time, thanks again to everyone for listening, and arrivederci.
Captain, we have found a suspected Frenchman. Bring him here and fetch me the chickpeas. Let me go, go. Let me go. I am Sicilian. We'll soon see about that. Tell me, what are these? Chickpeas. In Sicilian. Chichari. Sir, perhaps he really is one of ours. No, no. I have a feeling about this one. Bring me a baguette. Yes, sir. Sorry, a baguette, sir. Yes, we'll see if he can resist holding it without putting it under his arm. Here, sir. Here you are, Frenchman. Hold this. Um, he's not putting it under his arm. A tough guy, eh? Hmm. Fetch me a string of garlic. Garlic, sir? Yes, we'll see if he can hold it without putting it around his neck. Sir, are you sure you know what you're doing? Just watch. Here, prisoner, hold this. Um, sir, this is getting silly. Silence! Now, make a derogatory statement about French food or wine. Um, Bordeaux is dirty water compared to Chianti. Aha! What, sir? Did you see his face twitch slightly? I think we are getting to him. Sir, to be blunt, something's getting to you. Have faith in your captain. Come here a second. What, sir? Fetch me a bidet. Sir, really, perhaps you should think about a nap. That is an order. So, you so-called Sicilian, what is this? Ha, I know this, of course. Well, what is it then? Um, um, it's a well, uh, you know, I have, um, I have five doors at home. Um, maybe we have a different name for them? You try my patience. It's, um, you drink a fountain? Aha! Take him away! Oh no, sacre bleu, mon dieu, s'il vous plaît! You see, soldier? You are a genius, sir. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy.
With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.